Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is God's word. As Liz mentioned then, this is uh, the third of four. Um, We looked at Genesis uh, 1 to 3 last week at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, Next week, uh, we'll look at um, uh, 1 Timothy 5, uh, 1 and 2 in particular, relating together in church as um, brothers and sisters to older men, as fathers, older women, as mothers. What does that look like? Um, And in many ways, that's the most practical in terms of nitty-gritty or speculative, practical speculative. We'll see um, uh, next week. But um, I wasn't actually going to do this. The third was going to be 1 Corinthians 11, um, but I decided perhaps to look at this instead. But if you wanted to ask a question about that, that's great, because I did write that sermon earlier in the week, um, and it means my labor will not be in vain. Let's pray. Let's pray as we look at this together. A great God and Father, uh, we've sung already that you're a father who loves his children, and you're a maker who loves each and every one of his creatures. Father, you're a God who cannot give anything bad to a child. You can't. It's not in your nature. It's impossible for you not to give good gifts. And so, Father, please help us, no matter where we're at in our thinking, to hear your word this evening as a good gift and so that we would honor marriage that looks like this. Uh, for those of us who are there, we'd strive for our marriages to look a little more like this. For those who are perhaps about to enter or hope one day, that this would be the template. Father, we pray it because we, this must be the best way for us to live, for our good, for our enjoyment, because it's how you've decreed it to be. But we'd also, please, would we live this way for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. After the uh, first week, uh, we looked at Genesis 1 to 3, and um, uh, a few days later, happened to be with uh, 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 someone at church, and they said there's a couple, they'd driven home that night, and just on the radio was a a documentary uh, about the latest research, and it'll come up in a moment, about the latest research in in sports science that... um, Actually, the best time for men and women to exercise if you want to burn calories is different 
Um, women, you want to do it in the morning before you've eaten anything. Guys, do it in the evening if you want to burn the calories. And also the different nutritional requirements. And this went on for about half an hour and some research had come out on both these issues in the preceding week. And uh, this was oh, fascinating, really helpful. And it was just presented as obviously the case. You know, men, better for you to exercise then, women then, and better for you to eat this and better if you do that. And then immediately afterwards was the news and there was an item on trans athletes uh, and the point being that men and women are not different at all. And they wanted to ring in and say, anyone, anyone, anyone listening? Anyone, anyone, anyone producing these programs or editing? Because those, that show, that documentary and the news just, <laughs> just completely contradict one another. Has anyone noticed? But that's sort of where our world is at in some ways. So we're spending um, four weeks then on this topic, complementary living. The point simply is that God has made men and women equal and distinctive. Equal in value, equal in dignity, equal in worth, and yet distinctive in certain responsibilities and roles. And tonight we come to think about uh, marriage. Uh, so we're going to look at it a bit like this. Familiar passage, probably, in Ephesians chapter 5. But uh, we'll go look like this. Everyone submit to one another. Then wives, respect your husband and let him lead. Husbands, give up your life to love your wife. And briefly, this is a profound mystery, says Paul. But we'll just work through it, uh, through the text. First then, verse 21 everyone submit to one another. Very obvious. Verse 21 comes at the uh, end of uh, a list of instructions, uh, silly heading to have in place there really, because the main verb uh, is in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, and that then is explained in various different ways. But verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, there is a word to cause a storm straight away. Submit. And uh, what we want to do is not make it say too much, but neither empty it of all meaning. There is content here. But um, let me remind you, observe first of all, uh, all Christians are meant to submit. So we can look at a few of those ways. We've got a a little slide. Um, Here are just a few of them. So first to God, every Christian is meant to submit to God. So Hebrews 12 we were human fathers who disciplined us. We respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live to God? We should all submit to God. Or more briefly, James 4, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil. So we'll do that. Every Christian submits to God. And then the next two are to the government or the authorities of the day. Romans 13, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Very similar is 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor, as to the supreme authority, or whoever it may be. Um, So, two, we all submit to God. Two, we all submit to government. Uh, A couple then within church. So, in the same way, you are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. And Hebrews 13, have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those you must give an account to do this. So there will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. So everyone in church submitting. 1 Corinthians 16 is a different category. It's an interesting one, this. Uh, Paul writes, The house of Stephanus have devoted themselves to the service of the saints, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. Well, that's interesting, that one, because what does it mean there? Submit to such people. Submit to those who devote themselves to serving others. I mean, at that point, I think it just means follow their example, doesn't it? Follow their lead, I would have thought. There's certainly no ordered to it there. But then 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus as well. When he, Christ, has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So Christ submits himself to the Father. Be subject or submit, same verb. So every Christian submits to God, to the authorities, be it a church, to leaders, um, to one another, well, to people who are good role models, submit to them. Well, at this point, you think in Jesus submits to his Father. But I think, oh, let's have it back up, the last one. The, the, the 1 Corinthians 16 is particularly interesting. As a minimum, you'd have to say it's, I think, yields to their lead. Follow them in that sense. But straight away, in none of these settings is it unrestricted submission. So don't submit to governing authorities if they ask you to renounce Jesus if you're a Christian. Don't do that. Don't follow church leaders if they're heretics or encouraging immorality. Don't do that. Don't submit to a spouse who is encouraging you to sin or is sinning against you grievously. Don't do that. Not in the sort of mild, he forgot to take out the bins, you know, he was a bit... um, But there are limits. So this is, in all these settings, government, not to God, we submit to him wholeheartedly, but government, church, marriage, certainly it's... There's... There is some sense of authority, but it's within real clear parameters. Okay, it's certainly not in any sense all-encompassing. Most of the time, of course, it is wise to follow the one whose role is to lead, but not if they're leading contrary to Scripture. Don't follow that. Two other little things about way uh, comments here under uh, submit to one another. Uh, the second is um, how some people take this verse, uh, verse twenty-one. Now, some who really don't like the rest of the chapter, 22 to the end, say, well, there you go. There's the headline, verse 21, submit to one another. And therefore, the the, the commands that come underneath that to husbands and wives, they're basically identical um, because everyone must, husbands and wives must submit to one another. Well, there's two problems with that. Um, One, I think, is... The, as I say, verse 21 really hangs off verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. And then there are a number of things. If that's the main verb, technically, then there are these participles. Speaking, singing, thanksgiving, submitting. They all flow from that. It isn't actually a headline um, to the section. That is not quite how it works. I mean, tangentially... The indication of that is that if you're going to live this way in a marriage, you need God's spirit to do so. Um, And anyone who is married would say, yep, help, all help required, please. 
But the other problem with saying that, that verse 21 sort of dominates the, the, the rest of the chapter is um, the, the two commands are not identical. They are different. So wives are commanded, we'll get there in a moment, to submit and, and husbands to love. The husbands get twice as long a section as the wives, relentlessly told. There's something to that, I take it. The dominant command to the husbands is to love. The emphasis, love is defined by sacrifice. And the wives are commanded to submit. And verse 24, we'll get there in a moment. But as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Well, that's not a symmetrical relationship at that point. Uh, Christ doesn't submit to his church. He leads his church. So you, you can't say that verse 21 interprets the rest. It makes no sense. It's not taking the words seriously or the picture that Jesus gives seriously. So yeah, submit to one another. I think in a sort of 1 Corinthians 16 sense, in part, uh, follow the lead of those who give a godly example. And there are three sets of relationships here, husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters. We're just looking at the first, but we will need the Spirit's help to live this way. Because even as we had this reading, you know, if you were married years, no one really smiles at Ephesians 5, because every married couple thinks, fall a bit short. But it is an extraordinary picture. And uh, as we work our way through it, and particularly see the symmetry to it, I just encourage you to think, how good is a marriage when it does work like this? The best marriages do work like this a lot of the time. None do it perfectly. But it's very wonderful when it does look like this. Let's get to these two uh, main sections then, wives and then husbands. First of all, we'll look at wives, verses 22 to 24. Wives, respect your husband, and let him lead. In the wrong place. There we go. Verse 22. Wives, submit your husbands, excuse me, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, the command there, of course, is submit. But um, I put respect in the heading only because, well, it comes later on. It comes in verse 33, and I think it's less likely to be misunderstood. Worth noting in passing, verse 33, the wife must respect her husband. It's the same word as chapter 5, verse 21, reverence for Christ. It's just striking in passing. Wives are to revere husbands in the same way the church is to revere Christ. Hold on, we'll get there, we'll get there. But it is a high bar that he's setting. How are you to submit? Notice it's only to your own husband, not to any other man. But it is, verse 22, as you do to the Lord. Recognizing it's feel good. But wives are called to submit. There is a voluntary character to it. Husbands are never commanded bring wives into submission. Just as to the state, in one sense, we voluntarily submit in a church. You voluntarily follow a leadership by coming to the church. 
There is a voluntary character to it. You offer up your submission. But why do this? Verse 23. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Head. Now Paul has used this metaphor already in the letter. You might want to turn, but chapter 1, verse 22 Jesus is described as the head of the church. Verse 20, chapter 1, verse 22, God placed all things under Jesus' feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Fills everything in every way. So there's a, Jesus is head of the church in the sense of he leads it. There is another nuance to it in the letter. So chapter 4, verse 15 Talk about the church family will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There, the emphasis upon Jesus as the head is the one who supplies. He provides, he nourishes, he cares for. Um, He's the source of life. So both those senses, he uses the sense of the husband is the head. Jesus is the head of the church. How is Jesus the head? He leads it and he provides. He's the source. He nourishes. Both those senses. And I think both are true here in, uh, in the rest of the text of chapter 5. Now, let me clarify for some things. This is not an issue of competency. Many who are married will know their wives are more competent than them in lots of different areas. Maybe not all areas. I mean, in a healthy marriage, there are different areas of uh, competency. But just as a number here will work for people, and you think, I am probably more competent than the boss, but he is still head of department. She is still head teacher, even though, you know, I think I could do a better job than them. You may feel that way. It's just not an issue of competency here. It's not an issue of temperament. Paul does never say, guys, are just better at the whole leading thing than girls? He doesn't say that. It's a theological thing. It's woven into creation. He's going to refer back to Adam and Eve, the first marriage. And I think it is helpful to think in those terms. If we, if we think, which I'll come to in a moment, uh, what Paul is wanting to do is get to a return to Eden, a return to a husband and wife relationship before the fall. In Genesis 2, it's less a matter of the husband having authority over the wife, more the wife follows the husband's lead as he grows the kingdom of God. I may not have taken you with me there. Genesis chapter 2, the man is given a job to grow the kingdom of God. And the woman is his helper in that, brings resources that he lacks. So he is, gives the lead in that sense. He is responsible. But again, even in Genesis 2, there's never a command. Hey, Adam, you have authority over. It's more they're engaged in a common task, and he takes a lead in leading them on that common task. I think that's very much what's going on here. Neither the man nor the woman... And in a marriage, neither the husband nor the wife can accomplish their task without the other. 
Now, verse 23, question. In what way is Christ the head of the church? Well, many ways. But here in this verse, verse 23 of chapter 5, Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the saviour. Paul defines headship here in terms of being saviour. I think it was a helpful comment John Stott makes in his little commentary. Um, the character of the man's headship is not so much lordship as saviourhood. That's how headship here is defined. Giving. That's what he writes. Verse 24 here, I think, is the, is the trickiest verse of the section. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. In everything. In everything. In everything. What does that mean? Well, again, not if he asks you to do something God forbids or prevents you from doing something God commands. Hopefully that's obvious. I'd also, before we get to what I think he's saying here, uh, add in a little nuance elsewhere. So uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. I think this is of some relevance. That's where Paul can write, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. So two things. Notice one, that's how Paul can sort of in his own mind considers these relationships. There's a yielding. It's never a taking. I give you. But there, there's a mutuality to the yielding. The husband says, my body is for you. The wife says, my body is for you. I think it's Surprising if that would only be limited particularly to sexual relations. And so classically, of course, in an Anglican wedding service for the last few hundred years, uh, both parties would say, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. There's a yielding. There's a, a mutual yielding. So I think in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, back in Ephesians 5, where he's going to get to is... Verse 31, for this reason a man will leave his wife, excuse me, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's where he's going to get to. So in verse 24, when he says wives should submit to their husbands in everything, I think the logic is this, that God's intention is that husband and wives should function as one flesh, not as two individuals operating in parallel. You can't have a body with two heads. I mean, not, obviously, medically it doesn't work, but, um, but in the metaphor, you can't have a body with, with things pulling in different directions. And so I think when he's saying, wives, submit to your husbands in everything, he's saying, not two autonomous individuals running around with parallel lives, but living together as one flesh. So, uh, I mean, Kerry referenced this earlier, but um, years ago, it was actually when I was at theological college, uh, and she was working five days a week. Um, the wheels were coming off. <laughs> uh, I was at college five days a week, at church on a Sunday. Uh, Kerry likes being involved in, in church ministry and likes people, so was busy, busy, busy on a 
uh, Sunday as well. But five days as a lawyer um, fighting cases with demanding clients, uh, not getting in till gone midnight, and then the wheels are coming off. The wheels are coming off. Something has to change. Uh, we're away on holiday. We've got to change something. What are we going to do? And we just bounced around all sorts of ideas, all sorts of ideas, and came to the conclusion this easiest or the sen- most sensible, not necessarily easiest, the most sensible thing, um, okay, she'll drop to four days a week. Uh, otherwise, just the wheels are coming off and we can't operate. Um, this was before children, but we can't just operate just the two of us uh, in this way. Now, we could have come to a different conclusion. My point is, you can't have two autonomous individuals running life in their own way. That, of course, is why lots of marriages do fail. People marry, and they think, oh, I want all the benefits of being single and doing whatever I want and being married. Well, there's a trade-off. There are great benefits to being married, but you can no longer do whatever you want. Um, I think he's saying here, submit and everything. That is, in the whole way you set up your married life, one head. Now, talk about it. You just don't operate with two heads. And the way things are structured, in the end, ultimately. I mean, to Kerry's point, I can't think of a decision where we've talked and talked and talked and thought we can't agree, and therefore I've said, well, I've got the casting vote. I just, it has never, ever happened that way. I mean, maybe it does in some marriages, I don't know. But it's the pattern here. Just don't have two autonomous individuals. I think that's the logic. The husband, in that sense, leads for the good of the marriage. Now, look, when does this go wrong? Well, on the one hand, I think, um, uh, how does the wife fail? And I'll say the same for men in a moment. But I think it can go wrong in two different directions. On one side, uh, wives could live autonomously, not live as one flesh, and then things will go wrong. Or the wife could say, well, I am more competent, and I'm going to use all of my resources and skill and talent to displace you and belittle you and put you in your place and I'll be overly dominant. That would be bad. On the other hand, um, equally bad, equally uh, bad, poor for a marriage, is when a wife becomes overly complacent. Uh, sorry, overly um, complicit. Uh, a doormat, for want of a better term. Never confronting her husband's sin. Just thinking, I'm not this, I don't think it's a good idea, but saying nothing. That is equally hopeless. So... Too loud or too quiet. I mean, that's a really superficial way of saying it. But you don't, you don't want either of those. Guys, I think, I guess there's something superficially appealing about a docile wife who does whatever you want. But if that's what you're looking for, that's when you buy a dog. Okay? Because that a dog gives you unrestricted love and affection and never tells you you're doing anything wrong. You don't want that in a marriage. Every marriage needs both saying, at some point, whatever you call yourself, sweet pea, uh, we don't. Um, Matt, I think you got that one wrong. I think you need to go and apologize. And Kerry, I think you got that one wrong. I think you want to go revisit that decision. You need that uh, in a marriage. But wives, respect your husbands. Let him lead. One flesh. One direction. The, pa- the balance to that. 
or it's not really a balance because it goes on at twice the length and is far more demanding if we understand it rightly. You may not think that, but if you understand it rightly. Secondly, husbands, give up your life to love your wife. Verses 25 to 31. No vague definition here. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How do you do that? Just as Christ loved the church, in what way? And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Being a husband will cost you. Being a husband is hard work because you're called to die. You're called to sacrifice. I mean, let me put that obviously, in, in obvious terms. You're called to go without what you think you're entitled to for her good. You're called to put her welfare above your own. That is what is required. Christ gave himself up. A whole number of purpose clauses there, but you can see the gist of them. Make her holy, cleansing her, washing with the water of the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church. That is, husbands must be absolutely, utterly committed to the welfare of their wives, especially their spiritual welfare. Now again, husbands can go wrong on two sides. They can dominate or abdicate. Both are enormously frustrating. They can dominate. There is a subculture in the evangelical church that has interpreted this in an overbearing, domineering way. So at times in the past, I've had guys say to me proudly, yeah, well, um, uh, at the beginning of every week, or at the beginning of every month, I, I, I go through my wife's diary and say, no, you mustn't do that, and you mustn't do that, and you must do more of that. You know, I take a strong lead. No, don't do that. I mean, what? That, that's, that doesn't sound very healthy at all, to my mind. Um, talk about things, decide together. You can do, but no, that's no good. Or, um, yeah, I'm in charge of the finances, and I decide what we give, and I... Uh, don't do that. Talk about it. <laughs> Make these decisions together. That, that's, that sort of overbearing, domineering, that, that's not how I read sacrifice. That's not how I read giving, giving up for. That's just unpleasant, I think. That sort of domineering. The love of Christ is sacrifice, it's grace, it's patience, it's not demand, it's not manipulation. So not to dominate, but then not to abdicate either which is more common, I don't know. C.S. Lewis um, helpfully observed that, I think this is true, that often men think of love as not troubling someone. Oh, I won't trouble you with that, which is, uh, I'm loving you. Whereas often, I mean, I know these are caricatures in one sense, women think of love as taking trouble off of others. Oh, can I help you to take something off your plate? But certainly, I think the latter is more biblical I still have to learn as a husband, as a boss, that to lead is often to take burdens off people. Let me just remove that hassle from you. You don't have to worry about that. Let me worry about it. 
taking stuff off. Some would have heard, I've, this is so instrumental, or so, instrumental, not right, uh, so important in our marriage years ago, 20 years ago, uh, a dear friend uh, said, um, Matt, would you, would you mind if I made an observation about how your marriage seems to work? What do you say when a dear friend says that? It's not going to be good, is it? <laughs> um, no. Um, you see, it seems to me uh, your marriage goes a bit like this. I'm Matt, and I, there's lots of things I like doing. Work, 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 Play, do my thing, look up. Is my wife all right? You all right? Great. Do my own thing, do my own thing. He said, that sort of occasional check-in, occasional, or am I obliged to do something here? That doesn't read much like Ephesians 5, a pattern of self-giving, a pattern of living to build up your wife, see her nourished, see her flourish. Um, do you mind me saying that? No? <laughs> it was one of the top three helpful rebukes I've ever had, I think, probably. I'm not telling you the others. <laughs> because what does it look like here? Verse 28, um, in the same way as this giving, uh, uh, preparing your wife before helping her grow. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church for members of his body. Let me show you. There's a little uh, a parallel uh, hidden in the, t- the NIV doesn't translate it very well, to my mind, um, or, the, or the parallel. So uh, the verse I just read, verse 529, no one ever hated his body, but nourishes it and cares for it. And there's just a few later's, verses later in parental, parental instruction. Fathers instead nourish children, same word, in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So th- there is instruction given to the dad, husband. For your wife, for your children, nourish. It's silly when they don't translate the word the same way. I don't know why they don't do it. Nourish. Nourish them. What does that mean? Provide. And particularly in this context, the training and instruction of the Lord. It is, dare I say it, manly to know the Bible and to nourish your family with it. Your biological family, your church family. That's a good thing to do. But the conclusion comes, verse 31, 4. Here's what I've been talking about all the way along. For this reason, so in other words, this is what's been lying behind the whole passage, 22 downwards it seems. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Genesis 2 has been in the background all the way through the passage. If husbands and wives do this well, live this way, then they're reversing the impact of the fall. He takes on the burden of responsibility, and she finds joy in supporting him, respecting his lead. Not two autonomous people, but one flesh, him giving a sacrificial lead for her good. Three questions, then we're done. Uh, let me, three questions to uh, maybe spare a few afterwards. One, question one, does this apply out of marriage? 
Uh, if you mean, do women submit to men in general? No. No, that's an easy one. No, as I say, next week we're thinking 1 Timothy 5, how as a church we relate as brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, how there's slight differences there, but no. Um, 1B, um, does it apply in the workplace? Simple answer, no. Uh, Lydia, the businesswoman, is never crit critiqued in Acts 16, so I think a female, PMs, bosses, all good, all good, all good, biblically. There's probably, and you might want to ask about this, there's probably a more nuanced answer to does this apply in the workplace. The simple answer is no, but I think, and I'll get into trouble for this one perhaps, or you want to ask me more about this, there is probably a more male way of leading and a more female way of leading, and even the secular world recognizes that, but we'll leave that. The simple answer is no, it doesn't apply. Not in terms of structures, I guess. Uh, 1C, I'm merely milking question one. Uh, does it apply to dating if you're going out? Do, do these roles apply to dating? No, I don't think so, because you're dating. There's no commitment. You're not in a relationship such as marriage. I guess after you've been dating someone a while and you're really thinking seriously, are we going to get married? At that point, one question amongst a whole number of questions is, if you're a woman, would I be able to say in a wedding service I submit to him? Uh, and if you're a man, do I think I could give, do a, uh, my best to lead her? I mean, you'll ask amongst, the questions you'll ask amongst the many other questions when you're dating. But does it apply? No. So don't date and sort of bang your chest and be ultra mad and say that's Ephesians 5. That's not right. Question two. Question one a bit. Question two. In a marriage, does his vocation always come first? Mm, be careful. I think the kingdom of God comes first. A good husband will take decisions to help the family serve the kingdom of God. And I think Christians are sometimes, I know we're getting to more debatable nature here. Christians are sometimes a bit silly on this one. I've read a lot of very silly things about if in a marriage the wife earns more than the husband, that's very unhealthy, and they will struggle relationally. I, what? I mean, for 22 years I've earned less than my wife. We've muddled through. Um, I think it's all about attitudes. Also, that seems to be suggesting that value is only determined by money. The Bible never says value is determined by money. Your value is determined by who you are in Christ. Your contribution probably by how well you serve. Service matters, not money. Money is useful, of course, pays the bills, etc., etc. But who earns what more? What? I mean, how insecure is the bloke who wrote that? To my mind. But, um, but look, others might view differently on that. I'm sorry about that. Um, the omnicompetent wife of Proverbs 31 seems to earn the money while the husband sits as an elder and runs the city. Um, whose vocation? No, look, are you serving? Are you maximizing how you as a family serve the kingdom of God? And there may be ebb and flow. I, I can think of, uh, with, with apologies to one person here, but you know, for years we had on the staff Sarah Farabell for a decade. She was on the staff in doing ministry three days a week. My husband was an elder, but he was doing a secular job. I mean, but in a school, there's a school teacher where he ran school Christian meetings. But in terms of hours doing ministry, she did more, but 
They were just maximizing how they served the kingdom of God. Great. That's what matters. You're leading in that direction. Uh, Last question. What do I do if my spouse is falling woefully short? Who wrote that one? Um, Yes. Well, you may feel that. You may feel that you fall woefully short. Of course, here in Ephesians 5, it doesn't say wives respect your husbands if they're worthy. And it doesn't say husbands sacrifice for your wife if she deserves it. You just do it. You show grace. You forgive one another. And you pray. But if at the end of the evening you're married and you think we need help, then ask. Because every marriage needs help at some point. I really not sure I can think of an exception to that. Every marriage needs help at some point. Maybe a lot of help. Maybe just dinner with another couple to help them chat through some stuff. But at some point, every marriage needs help. This is, says Paul, a profound mystery. First, let me read you these last two verses. Verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here is obviously one reason why it's so important to maintain these biblical patterns, these gender distinctions, because verse 32, this is a profound mystery, must be referring to everything he said since verse 22 at least. This is a profound mystery. A good marriage is a visual aid of Jesus loving his church and Jesus sacrificing for her. And so if you muck about with these roles, if you ignore these roles, you're playing with the pattern of salvation. Jesus is, of course, the perfect one. He made, he's the one who loves his church and gave himself for his church. He's the one who makes his people or has made his people here holy and blameless. He is resolutely committed to you, man or woman, to seeing you presented spotless, blameless, without wrinkle. He'll do that on the last day. Submitting to him is a pleasure. He is incapable of abusing his position. He cannot be overbearing. He will never abdicate his role. He is wonderful. He loves his people, his church, more than his own body. Of course he did. He gave up his body. He continues to love us, care for us, nourish us, feed us. And I hope you can see that with him as the model, as Paul concludes in verse 33, if, you, if your marriage is modeled on this, it will be great. It'll be so healthy. Oh, you'll ebb and flow. But this is how God has designed marriage to be. Two individuals coming together as one flesh for the good of the other giving up their rights, be their husband or wife, so the marriage can flourish. Let me lead us in prayer.
Our great God and Father, we thank you for how you define marriages. We, we may stumble over some of the words, given the age in which we're brought up in. We may stumble over some of these concepts because we've seen them abused, we've seen them go wrong. But Christ's love never goes wrong. His care for his church is, is never one which causes anything but joy and flourishing and health. And so, Father, please, would we understand his sacrificial love rightly so that in this church are husbands who give of themselves and give of themselves and sacrifice themselves for the good of their wives and wives who respect their husbands, allow them to lead in that way, coming together as not two individuals but as one flesh for the sake of growing the kingdom of God, for the sake of happiness in a marriage. Father, in our different ways, with different temperaments, skill sets, different marriages. Help us to work this out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.